You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Hello. Thanks for tuning in to your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 40. Okay, with me today, we have a special guest. This is Mark Swanson, the founder of Oddbird Games and the creator of Feudum. Mark, welcome to your Tables on Fire. It's good to be with you, Jeff. We're glad you're here. Uh, why don't you uh, kick things off for us and just introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Mark Swanson. Uh, I'm a professor by day and a board game creator by night and over the summer when I'm not teaching. <laughs> you have one of those lucky jobs that give you all that free time. <laughs> I, it is really lucky. Um, and, and it has uh, been to my advantage that I have that kind of free time over the summer because I have been doing nothing but uh, developing this game. Um, and then now that, you know, when school started, I had to kind of shift over to evenings and, and weekends. Um, but it, it definitely has been a passion for me. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, so you, you mentioned you're a professor. So what are you a professor of? It's not game design, I'm guessing, or is it? No, no. I actually I teach in the Missouri School of Journalism. They have a uh, strategic communication department. So I teach advertising and creative copywriting. And I've been doing that for about six years now. Okay. Well, interesting. That that couldn't have hurt, at least, when it came to uh, launching <laughs> It helps out now and then, I admit. <laughs> well, let's talk about what got you into gaming. Now, I read on your Kickstarter page that you were inspired by Euro-style games in the late 90s. So break that down for us. What does that mean exactly? Sure. Well, I've, I've played games my whole life, but it, uh, it wasn't until later that I stumbled across euro style or german board games i had no idea really what they were i was used to playing you know tr- traditional american games um like like everyone else i thought risk was fairly strategic or even monopoly you know i'd go to monopoly <laughs> tournaments but then i i was i learned later that you know statisticians reversed engineered monopoly and found it to be 50 percent luck so you could you know, wheel and deal and know all the price percentage payoffs to all the different color groups, but still lose to, you know, your nine-year-old daughter because she rolls better than you. And after <laughs> two hours of intellectual investment, that's very unsatisfying uh, to lose because... Well, for you, I mean, your daughter probably appreciates it. <laughs> that's true. Yes, I shouldn't, take, <laughs> I shouldn't take any of the wins away from her. Uh, there you go. But I, I started to... I discovered a, a, a couple of German board games and... Like everyone else, you know, Settlers of Catan. The first one I ever ever played was called Cartagena, which is about escaping from an island prison. It's pretty pretty basic. Uh, but then I started uh, discovering other games like the you know the Aaliyah bookshelf games, you know, uh, Princes of Florence, and uh, all the Reiner Knizia games, you know, the Rosenberg games. Puerto Rico was, you know, an early an early favorite of mine, and it's no it's no wonder it was number one on Board Game Geek for so long. And uh, I realized that they, they were different in that they had these unique mechanics, from options and bidding to worker placement to area control to um, you know all forms of resource management. And I I loved it. It was an it was a return on my intellectual investment 
I used to have kind of a core gaming group, but then they kind of dispersed a little bit. And so that I fell into a new group. And this new group of, of gaming buddies, uh, they played these games that I wasn't used to. Uh, they, they, they played games like Virgin Queen or Here I Stand, you know, Meteor games from GTS. And they were very meaty, and I wasn't used to how meaty they were. And, you know, they lasted a long time. They, they had a, a very, you know, 50, 75-page rule books that you, <laughs> that you had to, to get into. Um, and they kind of, they hit my threshold. These games hit, hit, hit my threshold. And, and yet, I couldn't stop thinking about them after I played them. And what I, what I discovered about myself is that the meatier the game, the heavier the game, the more I thought about it. And so part of that kind of influenced me to develop Feudum because I knew I wanted a, a heavier Euro, not as heavy as, say, uh, High Frontier. Have you played that one? Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, 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 as, as far as meaty games go, that's, that's pretty meaty. Um, right. but, but I knew I wanted medium, a medium-heavy Euro under my belt, and that's what I set out to create. Mm-hmm. So how many pages is your manual? It is 20 pages of rules and about four pages of narrative fluff. That's not too bad. No, it's not too bad at all. I, I was expecting you to say 74. You know, oh, just, no. Just right under no, the- no. I think that would scare everyone off. I'm not ready to create a game like that. Although many people have told me that Feudum is definitely medium heavy to heavy. So um, that it's a it's a niche group of people that uh, gr- will gravitate towards, towards my game. Mm-hmm. Now, well, is Feudum the, the first game that you've designed? Yeah, you know, once you know it, I decided to, right out of the gate, to create a, a heavy game. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes I kick myself and think, I should have just created a card game or something, you know? Like <laughs> like Love Letter. But, you know, my, my goal was always to set out to create the game that I, I always wanted to play, and I never found anywhere. I knew I wanted a, a game that featured a, um, uh, a, a kind of an economic ecosystem, and... Uh, I couldn't find anything like that, so I, I made it. Mm. Well, so I guess when you first decided to start designing games, what was the catalyst for that? Well, you know, when you play lots of games, it's kind of subconsciously things kind of start to kick around in your brain, and you think, well, what game would I develop? You know, what mm. what what combinations of mechanics and themes would I put together? Um, I've always been kind of out looking for the ultimate game, you know, games that are kind of epic, um, <laughs> games that kind of, I always wanted a game that was kind of like an open world game. I remember when Grand Theft Auto came out, it was very novel for me because you could do anything you wanted in the game. There were, I mean, there was the linear narrative that you could play, but then you could just go off and do whatever. And I dec- and I wanted to create a game that where I could kind of eke out my own medieval existence uh, as any character that I wanted. So one of the you know, unique parts about the game is every person controls up to three medieval characters. And each pawn that you have is, is a six-sided die. You, you don't roll it, but it, each side contains a, an icon that represents an archetypal medieval character from you know, a, a farmer and a monk and a merchant and an alchemist um, and a noble and a knight. You, uh, you can enter each pawn on the board as a different character and play the game very differently. You can be, you can play peacefully. You can do lots of farming, uh, or you can play aggressively, and you can try to um, take over other people's feudums. 
or even uh, uh, conquer their their pawns. And uh, I, I like that open world aspect of games, but I but I also like games that still hold together. So even though it's open world in that sense, uh, there's still uh, lots of interaction and, and kind of an integrated, cohesive feel to it. Hmm. So, well, that's interesting. Um, you know, like you say, there's not too many open world games, or, or those that I can think of have kind of tried and failed. Not to be cruel, but right, right. Uh, you know, it's a very hard space to be in. So, how, how do you go about doing that? How do you design a game that can can feel open and players can kind of explore and do as they like, but at the same time, it provides, or maybe it doesn't. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, pr- provides a little bit of competition, and you know, there's definitely this this way to uh, have an end at some point. Sure, sure. I think the key is um, thinking about a path to victory beforehand. So if you just create an open world game and you allow a player to do something over off in, in, the, in the kind of the margin of the game, but that doesn't yield any kind of points, then th- that's going to be a failure. So I had to kind of, in my mind, figure out different ways that a person could pursue existence in this medieval realm, but that, but that is also rewarded. So you, it, so you, I kind of worked backwards. I figured out, well, these are the these are the five different paths to victory. Each one is 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 very unique and different, distinct from the other path. But when you enter the game, you can choose a path and then even shift from one path to the next, opportunistically based on circumstances or whatever. So in that way, it feels open world, although everybody has a very distinct way of trying to acquire veneration points which is the the goal of the game to acquire the most by the dawn of the fifth epoch mm-hmm. well actually let's let's take a step back with regards to feudum um i just want to make sure everyone listening kind of knows what the game's about so can you give us just the the two minute pitch sure sure well every game kind of begins with a story so uh this one's uh you know you are you've been banished from your homeland and you are thrust into a strange, fantastical realm, and you have to reinvent yourself and reclaim your honor. And you do that by eking out your medieval existence as, as one of six different uh, medieval characters. And in the center of the board, there are uh, farms and outposts and towns that you can try to take over. You can farm. You can um, up improve uh, each one of those locations uh, an outpost to a farm, a, fa- a farm to a town, and, ult- and ultimately a town to a feudum, which is medieval Latin for fiefdom. And by doing this, you get prestige or status in the, in the local guilds. And every um, uh, the dawn of every epoch, points are scored based on how well you're doing in terms of the prestige you have in the guilds and how many different areas you control on the board. And epic by epic, the uh, ages tick away, and at the end of the game, there's final game scoring. So there's kind of a game going on in the middle, uh, but then there's also uh, a game going on uh, on the on the edges of the board and the guilds, and um, you have to kind of be mindful of uh, both uh, parts of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, how does the game evolve? I mean, I read that you you first debuted it back in I think it was 2014. Uh, so, you know, it's been a little while. How, what, was, what did the very first version look like, and how has it changed since then? Wow, well, the very, very first versions, uh, you know, aesthetically were very, very different. They, they, it featured a hand-drawn map, and it, it, it just 
from a, a, a aesthetic and functional standpoint, it has gotten a lot more streamlined. But the engine, the, the main engine of the game, has been fairly true, uh, you know, for, for quite some time now. It's been about five years in the making. Um, mm. I think the, the core engine and the core point mechanism has stayed the same. The things that I have tinkered with over and over and over again, laboriously, are the, the fringes of the game, I guess I would say. Uh, making sure that the point values awarded for different things were just right. You have to set point values in a way where people could p- pursue distinctly different paths, but it still be a, a close game. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it, people, you know, when a game is invented, um, people try to figure it out. They try to reverse engineer it. They try to come up with the equation or the, or the math that's going to that's gonna win every time. I, uh, one of my friends, Samuel Tom, told me that um, uh, some folks had figured out the optimal uh, way to win at Puerto Rico. And, that, and math is kind of the, the death of mystery in a way. Because if you know that there's one right way or one optimal way to play, then the game becomes less fun. So my challenge as a, as a creator of the game was to make sure that things were balanced in such a way that you, you truly could um, win different, in different ways. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have an experience, perhaps during a play test, where someone just ran away with the game, but in a, in a, in a strategy that you hadn't foreseen? Oh yeah, I. But at the end of the game, I would always go back and I would look at all of the data, and you know I had these elaborate spreadsheets where I, you know, I calculated what everyone was doing, and then I would study this data and I and wonder why did this person do so well, and and was it because you know I just didn't do well or I didn't optimize my my turn? So it's it's hard to isolate all the variables and make sure that. You know, everyone is doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing so that you can have, you can control all the variables and get the perfect data set, right? Um, Because there are so many different uh, decision trees in in a game like Qtum. I I made a goal of it, and uh, um, I feel like I remember playing a game not too long ago where three people pursued entirely different paths, and over the course of two and a half hours, we were all within seven points of each other, and 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 this is this is like you know 130 points to 135 points to 137 points, and that result was was wonderful for me because everyone had a unique experience, but it was still a very close game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I, I think we all know how long playtesting can take. So that's well, the, uh, the, the real important. test is coming. You know, I mean, I, you can play. <laughs> I I played Feudum over a hundred times, and you know, the these early adopters and reviewers and friends that, that have played it through blind playtesting and through you know, uh, just here read the rules, figure it out. Um, the the feedback I'm getting is very very strong, but the real test is when thousands of people are playing it at any given moment. I mean, I'm sure that that's when I'll discover, you know, even more. Um, and, and that's going to be, that's going to be so critical to, um, 
potentially fine-tuning it even more. You know, you'd like to think that you've created a, a foolproof product, but, you know, I, I've, I've seen how designers have reacted to uh, their game in the marketplace and, and, and have made small rule changes in the second uh, printing and whatnot. I'm open to that because I, I, I truly uh, want the game to be as good as it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like I mentioned, you, you say on your Kickstarter page that you, you debuted it in, at Gen Con 2014, uh, and you also talk about how you, you spoke with a handful of fairly well-known game designers. I'm just curious if you have any anecdotes or, or stories from that experience sure, you know, sure. when they looked at your game. Well, back in 2014, you know, I, I, first of all, my, I have a friend named Samuel Tom. He was at the 2007 A Game of Thrones champion and wow. world champion even, uh, he, he um, knew Eric Lang because Eric Lang, you know, was the uh, creator of Game of Thrones. And uh, he introduced me to Eric at Gen Con in 2014. He was actually, uh, Eric Lang was the, I guess, the guest of honor, they called him. And he, uh, along with some other uh, folks, including Bruno uh, Fiduti from, uh, you know, Citadel's fame, and, and he's made a slew of games. They both did a a, a, a a lecture, I suppose, for the game designers where you could uh, raise your hand, ask questions, and gain insight. I pretty much had my hand up the whole time. <laughs> they, I just kept it up. I kept, And they kept calling on me, and I kept asking questions. And I just absorbed a lot of their knowledge about game development like a sponge. And afterwards, I went up and met them and talked to them a little bit. And... Um, then I stumbled onto this fellow who was playtesting, or not playtesting, he was teaching a game that he had made about winemaking. I didn't know who he was, but he took me through the rules, and afterwards I shook his hand. He said his name was Jamie Stagmire, <laughs> and I, I befriended him, and he kind of told me a little bit what it was like to create his own game, and uh, he was just a very gracious fellow. Uh, and it turns out, you know, he was uh, the fellow that went on to, Invent Scythe, uh, Euphoria, and all and all those uh, Stonemeyer games, and uh, he uh, was gracious enough to field a lot of my questions via email. Eventually, I met up with him at Geekway uh, recently. He playtested Feudum, had great things to say about it, and um, I took some of his advice and and, and fine tuned a couple of uh, mechanics. So it's it's the the more you get into it, the more you go to conventions, the more you meet other publishers uh, and designers the more you realize that it's a very tight-knit, small, niche community of people that really help each other, and it's been fantastic. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great. Well, you, you mentioned, you know, when you were talking a little about Feudum, um, kind of some of the elements that make it unique, but I'm wondering if you could go a little bit deeper on that and just, you know, what, what really sets it apart? Well, every... I think that the, the holy grail of, of any game designer is to not just recycle some of the other mechanical variants that are out there, but, but actually come up with something unique, a unique mechanic. You know, when I, when I think about games out there that have unique mechanics, I think of, you know, Wallenstein with the, with the, little, the tower that you throw your cubes into and it determines battle outcomes, or Traders of Genoa where you have a, a stack of discs that you move from space to space, and as the stack gets lower... Your space options become limited. There's some really unique mechanics out there that kind of are make up the personality of a game. And I, for Feudum, 
like I said earlier, I wanted to create a cyclical economy, a, a, a an economic ecosystem where a farmer pushes, you know, goods to the merchant who then marks them up and uh, sells them to the alchemist, and the alchemist then uh, converts them into uh, black powder or crud, which is Danish for for gunpowder, uh, and, and and equips the knight, and and the knight sends emissaries to the noble, who in turn then these king seals get flipped into into these uh, prayer beads or rosary beads for the monk guild, and it's and then eventually these this this these prayer beads uh, are for praying for a better harvest, and this uh, affects the farmer, and so it, it's a full circle of um, of a, a symbiotic relationship between guild members who each play their dutiful role in this economy, and. That's the unique. That's the unique mechanic of feudum is is um you know everyone pushing goods and resources in this kind of like circular rotation from guild to guild, and it helps facilitate uh, the the economy and the distribution of goods. And you don't have to do your play your dutiful part, but then there are certain incentives that that make you want to. And so in a way, there it's a collaborative game. But you're not necessarily helping your neighbor to your left or your right, or at least you're not doing it intentionally. You're doing it because you're serving yourself. But in doing it, you're also helping other players. So that was the that was the the trick because you know if you're a competitive player, you don't certainly don't want to help your opponent in any way. So right. I figured out ways to incentivize what I wanted to happen in the game, and um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's very good. Well, so you've been working on it for five years. What at what stage did you say okay, this is this is good? This is ready to go. Like, what was that moment? Hmm. I think <laughs> you know, with, with me, I, I don't know if I've ever arrived at that at that point. <laughs> you know, I I remember just a few weeks ago, I I I, I have my my core playtesters, my faithful playtesters, and I. I send them these emails, and they, and I said, well, what what if I change this, you know, point value to this, or what if I did this or this or this, and they and at this point they're 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 like, Mark, it doesn't matter, it's still a great game if you do this or you do this or you do that or do that, you know, it won't matter. And I said, yeah, but what do you think? Which is the superior of the two choices? So I've <laughs> I've I've kind of polished to a, a fault, I think. And I finally recently took a step back and said, it's done. It's done. Mm. And then I'm riding in the car and I think of something and I, and, and I, and I, I rationalize in my, in my own brain why it's done. And so then I'll leave myself a recorded message, you know, that I can listen to later <laughs> about why I think the game is finished. So, that I, so when I have doubts, I can click and play that and go, oh, I see now why I... <laughs> I, I, why the game is finished. Isn't that crazy? It's kind of neurotic, I guess. But... <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> uh, that's pretty pretty good. Well, so let's talk Kickstarter. Um, you're winding down your campaign. Overall, how, how did it go? How's it going? It's it's going great. It's uh, I never imagined that I would be funded the first day. Uh, I never imagined that all three of my... Uh, uh, unlockable expansions would would be unlocked and 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 now funded for me to develop them. 
And truthfully, it was, there was a race between with 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 my artist and myself to come up with more stretch goals to keep people interested, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, and we finally got ahead of the curve. We have an, a, another stretch goal that we hope to unveil soon. I I I believe that toward you know the last you know five days of the campaign, we'll we'll see a little bit more of a spike, and uh, I, I I hope very much to unveil the uh this next stretch goal Mm -hmm. well so funding day one right that's that's everyone's dream everyone who launches a kickstarter campaign so how did you do it (laughs) tell us the secret (laughs) uh i read jamie stagmeyer's book a crowdfunding guide you know every single page um it's an incredible resource uh, James Matthey is also another uh, resource. Board Game Geek Designer Forum is a wonderful resource. You got to do your homework for sure. Uh, but anecdotally, you know, one of the first things that I read in, in Jamie's book was, was a line that really made a lot of sense. And the line was, you don't have to launch tomorrow. A lot of folks have an inane sense of urgency that somehow they have to launch. But you have to have every single duck in a row before you launch. You, it's, it's not wise to, to throw something out there that's half-baked, get funded, and then have to scramble to satisfy uh, your backers. You have to have things you know, fully rendered in, in your, your art. You have to have... Everything planned out with your with your um, manufacturer in terms of the you know quantity projections and and you have to have your fulfillment companies um, around the world kind of in place. You know that's a whole other part of it is is if you're if you if you want your game to be delivered to backers from within their country of origin so they don't have to pay outrageous customs fees. Uh, then you have to make sure you have fulfillment companies, and so you can fulfill orders in the you know EU and in Australia and in Canada. So yeah, that's important too. Right, right. So so uh, you know, and I don't mean to harp on you, but those are important things. But I'd say those are more important things for, like you say, for fulfillment, right? For kind of post campaign. What what were the important things you're doing before you launched? Yeah that made day one sure, success okay. That's Yes, good. Um, well, first of all, you, ha- you have to have a solid game. You have to have a solid idea, solid mechanic, a, a solid game that enough of your playtesters have played so that, you know, some early buzz gets created. And that early buzz happens um, on, on social media. Having a Facebook page, having a Twitter account if you're you know super savvy you have an instagram account um, <laughs> because everyone gets information in different ways um mm-hmm. and uh s- developing that that facebook community is important letting the some of the uh reviewers that are out there that are willing to embrace prototype games try them out and start the buzz that's really important so that you're not just you know, on day one of your Kickstarter campaign, launching something that no one has heard of. I think a lot of folks think that when they launch a game without any kind of presence, 
that you know the the World Wide Web will somehow reach everybody overnight. That it, it's 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 a it's an evolution. And you got to have a good video. I, I guess I got to say that, right? You have to, <laughs> have to have a good video and great artwork. You know, there. I can't remember. I read a statistic somewhere about the percentage of people that will, you know, be compelled to buy a game for the artwork alone. Um, that might sell. That might move a game off the shelf for for you know a few months, but eventually, word gets out and people know if it's truly a good game, right? So, but the artwork is important. That's the eye candy. And then the mechanics of the game, um, that's what keeps it in the public's eye and, 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 and maintains that longevity. Right, right. Yeah, good, good advice. Well, Mark, this was your first campaign. Was, was there anything that caught you off guard or, you know, now that you've, you've, you're, you have some war wounds, some scars... Um, you know, any, anything that you didn't know going in that, boy, you wish you knew back then? Yes. I don't know why no one told me that I was going to get bombarded with emails. Mm -hmm. I mean, when, when, you know, I have close to 2000 backers now and they all have the capacity to send me messages, private messages, not to mention ask questions, uh, in the comment section of the Kickstarter page. I mean, I knew a fair amount of that was going to happen, but I didn't have any idea uh, of, of the magnitude. Um, and so, the advice that I heard was to, you know, take the take the day off when your Kickstarter campaign launches. You know, just call call in sick to work or whatever. That's true, but I would maybe append to that and say, take the first take a week off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because the first week is absolutely crazy. It's just crazy. Um, and I, I didn't get a lot of sleep. I, 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 there were some nights where I just, I didn't sleep. Um, and then lately, uh, I'm, I'm catching up a little bit, but I mean, things have gotten so crazy that I, that, that, you know, I stopped, I stopped doing like domestic things like paying bills or mowing my yard. You should see my <laughs> yard. You know, I'm embarrassed about my yard right now. Also, they shut off my water a few days ago. Oh no! <laughs> it, now it's turned back on. It's turned back on now. But that—that just—I mean, I, I didn't have time to pay bills. So, hey, you gotta have your priorities. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's that's pretty funny. Uh, well, so once the campaign wraps, you know what's next for you? You, you mentioned you, you've already you already have several expansions that are already part of this campaign. So, I guess you know what's next for Feudum? What's next for you? Do you have some other games you're thinking about? Where are you headed next? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I, I so want to move to my next game, but I can't. I can't yet because um, once the game hits the street, then, you know, you have to send it to the reviewers. Then you have to work the trade show circuit and go to all the different conventions and set up a booth. And I mean, I want to have a presence with the Feudum community. And so I want to be, be at, at conventions. And uh, I want to, you know, go out there and I want to teach people the game and, and, and play it. And that's part of the whole maturation cycle of, of, of a game. And once I get to that point where I feel like, okay, it, the, the community is perpetuating the game forward by itself without my help, then I'll step back and then, yeah, I'll, I'll create an, another game. Yeah, very good. 
Well, you, you've already shared with us, you know, so much advice, but uh, give us give us just one more. What, what would you say if you were talking to someone that, you know, they are thinking about designing their first game, they didn't really know where to start, what advice would you tell them? Be brave, because so many people are naysayers, I suppose. You know, they not everyone's going to believe in you. You know, there are a lot of people that, they they don't necessarily have the vision or the or, or the or the bravery uh, to withstand rejection, um, and you just have to kind of believe in your game, believe in yourself, be humble enough to improve it, um, and um, and just and just keep going, <laughs> just keep going. I mean, I think if you have a passion for something um, and you're able to withstand criticism and, and improve it, then eventually um, you're going to, you're going to get somewhere. Um, and just, that's, that's been so true of, of, of feudum. You know, I mean, it's great when I, like I remember going to, uh, to a couple of unpub uh, venues where, you know, total strangers play test your game and then fill out feedback forms or whatever. And it's great when they love your game, but when they, when they score it with low marks, you have to have a suit of armor sensitivity to get past that and not, not get crushed and not throw in the towel. Right. Um, and so I, I just, yeah, I would encourage people to be, be brave and, and be thick skinned. All right. Very good. Very good. Well, Mark, it's time to come clean on a little secret, which is this whole podcast is just a ruse to convince you to play the game design challenge. Oh. <laughs> Here's how this works. I'm going to give you a game theme, then I want you to chew it over, think about it, and then pitch back to me what that game might be. Okay. You up for that? Sure. Okay. So I'm going to find a theme, and that theme is going to be... Icelandic superheroes. Icelandic superheroes. Uh, so you're um, you are a a Nordic explorer, except you're a horse, okay. and uh, you know your goal is to your your goal is to migrate north uh while the tectonic plates are shifting and they're shifting rapidly around you so you are like this you know nord nordic for horse is hoss so you are like you're this hoss man and uh you have you 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 have powers but you can't fly and so okay. your goal is to uh navigate these uh shift you know through these shifting plates towards uh towards greenland where you know, greener pastures uh, lie. Right. Okay. So, how would the game play out? Oh, okay. So, this is just about this? a theme. This is, you're, you're talking about mechanics now. Oh, right? yeah. We want the whole game. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What, what are you going to invent it and make money? Oh, yeah. We're going to launch this on Kickstarter next week. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Okay. Well, mechanic wise, it's a game about spatial relationships. Um, think about, you know, it's kind of like, 
Tetris on a map. So if, if you have these shifting tectonic plates of, of, of ice, you know, okay. um, the, the, the game is based on a grid and you have uh, different movable, kind of these movable translucent plastic pieces on the board that can shift from quadrant to quadrant. And you have pawns, you know, nicely uh, designed pawns that, that sit atop all of these different plates. And yeah, that's where I guess that's where I would start. I don't know. Do you okay. have any ideas? Uh, so, so you're kind of envisioning so something like say Blockus. That's how I'm hearing what I'm hearing. And then like the pawns move across the Tetris-like pieces, and so you're kind of trying to build a land bridge. But now there has to be some player interaction, right? So how yeah, would another there, player there, you mess have to, up you have to be able to you have to be able to thwart other players' uh, movement. Uh, um, I think that there'd have to be d- different, different cubes on, on various spots that, that enhance your ability and, and your movement ability, mm-hmm. um, d- different resources out there, uh, for the taking to, uh, enhance your, your movement ability. The game is really about, um, probably would have a, a certain amount of area control in it so that you would control certain areas, um, and the resources would enhance your movement. Um, yeah, you know, I approach games from real kind of an abstract, very kind of a 30,000 foot view abstract level first before Mm -hmm. I work out, before I work out the details. So, you know, my mind would very much just be at a high level before I, before I worked out the details. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's part of why we, we play this game. You know, it's fun to see how different people attack a new game idea. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it's, a, it's not an easy game to play <laughs> well you know we, we've had had some some amazing and some complete flops you know so and everything in between so that's just fine well mark it's been a real pleasure speaking with you this evening likewise except for the last part <laughs> well you know it, it's it's fine you did just fine <laughs> once, once we got through it all <laughs> Well, and best of luck uh, on the rest of Feudum and the, and the campaign. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Well, that was Mark Swanson, the founder of Oddbird Games and the creator of Feudum, currently on Kickstarter. You've been listening to Your Tables on Fire. Check out our website for a link to Mark's game, www.yourtablesonfire.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Tablefire. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Board Game Geek. Check us out on any of those websites and give us a review. We want to hear what you think. Well, until next time, go light it up. Go light it up.